Hello and welcome aboard this island nation, the Maritime Program. Tom McSweeney here with the programme about Ireland's maritime culture, history, tradition and development. And this is the last edition for the present of this island nation, while we take a short break. On this edition we return to the very serious safety problem of what have been called toy boats, killer inflatables, during what has been described as the summer of inflatable emergencies by the emergency rescue services. Now the National Water Safety Authority calls for a ban on the use of these inflatables on Irish beaches. So the local authorities can ban these from the beaches, their own beaches, and piers and harbours and slipways by bringing in bylaws. Uh, so that's one thing that can be done for the floating toys. And Ireland's last wooden and sailing trading schooner voyages to the smaller ports and harbours around the coast to raise awareness of Ireland's ancient seaways. The links across the Shannon with the communities that has kind of dissipated maybe with the road network. And that's one of our objectives, is bringing in the community element and blending it in the cargo side of things as well. This Island Nation is Ireland's maritime radio programme, coming to you from Community Radio Yall, CRY 104FM on the East Cork coastline and bringing together the maritime community. We'll be taking a short break for the next few weeks and returning in October, as many radio stations do, regenerating for the autumn and winter season ahead. We'll hope to keep you as interested as you have been showing in our reporting and discussion of Ireland's maritime sector. You can contact the programme by email to thisislandnation at gmail.com. That's thisislandnation at gmail.com and by phone or text to 0872 555 197 that's 0872 555 197 Justin Marr joins me presenting this edition where we start by dealing again with the problems of inflatable toy boats as they're described which have caused a summer season of emergency calls for help involving responses from the RNLI, the Coast Guard, lifeboats, helicopters, fishermen, fishing boats and members of the public to rescue users of these inflatable boats blown out to sea. And that is a crucial point about them, made now in our interview with John Leach, Chief Executive of Water Safety Ireland, the National Statutory Authority. He says that his organisation would welcome the use of these craft being banned from Irish beaches, and he makes a particularly relevant point, that those using them often don't understand the difference between an onshore breeze and an offshore breeze. This summer, he suggests, more people have holidayed at home because of the pandemic restrictions and may have used these craft on beaches when holidaying abroad, where onshore breezes prevail. These breezes would blow them back onto beaches, whereas in Ireland, the offshore breeze will blow them out to sea. Therein lies the problem, as John Leach explained to Tom, who asked him what can be effectively done to control the use of these craft to keep people safe. A number of things that can be done, and yes, I would agree that they, there's been more rescues uh, by the, the emergency service, the RNLI and the Coast Guard, also, but by, by bystanders, in other words, you know, people who are just uh, see these things happening. And as you know, we had the, 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 the big one in Galway here, 
where a local fisherman found the two ladies who got, into, got themselves into trouble. A number of things can be done. Obviously, we need to do more education uh, and more public awareness. And obviously, every opportunity that you, you, we get to get on the radio like this, and we really welcome it to try and make it, a, as it were, a conversation, a public conversation, uh, which is needed to try and raise further awareness. So there's, it, there's a number of things. first thing is there are inflatable toys under the European uh, standards, and then, the, then you've got recreational craft. So the rigid... Uh, floating uh, stand-up paddle boards we used, they do come under the Recreational Craft Directive. So they're not toys. Now, the inflatable toys, which we've always referred to in this organization as a floating killers, because unfortunately that's what they've done, they, they had essentially, over the years, we've managed, with the, with the work of the lifeguards especially, and we've managed to keep them off the beaches. But this year, as you know, when people go abroad, when they go to the continent and they go to the Baltic or they go uh, you know, to, to these sunnier times, they have onshore breezes. And so using them there is not an issue because they've been blown ashore the whole time. Uh, they don't get the offshore breezes that we, we get uh, in our temperate climate. And it's just two different climates. So they're not suitable. Floating toys are not suitable on our beaches. And yes, uh, we would certainly welcome a ban on them. Uh, there's a number of, I mean, a number of county councils at the moment who are, are considering doing that and bringing, using their own bylaws. So the local authorities can ban these from the beaches, their own beaches and piers and harbours and slipways by bringing in bylaws. Uh, so that's one thing that can be done for the, in, uh, for the floating toys. Now, separate from that, we've had issues with the stand-up paddleboard. But the vast majority of the, the, the one drowning we had so far the, the, all the rescues we've had, too many to, to list at this stage, most of them were on floating toys. And, and they, have no, they really have no, no place on our beaches. But then we look at the uh, recreational craft directive and the, the, where you have the rigid uh, stand-up paddle boards which are inflated up, up to uh, about know, three, 3 PSI or so. In other words, you, you have to inflate them quite hard and they're rigid. Uh, the, the difficulty with them is... They are inflatables. Uh, they're not toys, but we have to accept that. So they have to be treated differently. If they're used uh, safely and correctly, uh, and if people realise what the wind direction is doing, th th there's no issue with them. There shouldn't be an issue with them. As long as people wear buoyancy aids and carry some means of communication so that if they do get into trouble, that they can then call on the, on the services of the lifeboat or at worst helicopters. The important point you're making there, John, which comes very much across to me, is that people need to understand the difference between the offshore breeze in Irish waters and the onshore breeze if they were on a foreign holiday. Yes, absolutely. This year, of course, nobody's able to go on holidays. And so they're, they're bringing these toys, which they probably bought back from them, brought back from the continent, or then they bought them in continental shops, shall we say, um, in Ireland uh, at very inexpensive uh, prices. And so suddenly they're being used by people who don't understand the huge difference between using them at home and using them uh, on the continent, maybe in the Mediterranean or the Baltic or elsewhere around the world where you tend to get the onshore breezes where it's been blown ashore, blown onto the beach the whole time. As a point where we have very fast, with much, much stronger breezes, and of course the breeze changes sometimes within an hour, sometimes within minutes, a breeze will change. And so that's where people are getting caught out, not understanding that, that um, uh, an offshore breeze is absolutely can be lethal 
on even on even on the stand up paddle boards as um, uh, as we, 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 we had you know experience of this year they're very inexpensive and lots of people are buying them they are being manufactured under the recreational craft directive so they're going they're here to stay in other words is what I'm really saying and obviously with the staycationing people want to people really enjoy water sports and obviously we want them to enjoy water sports and we want more people uh, to, to get out on, on their boards and enjoy them but they do need to make sure they're prepared uh, and understand the weather uh, have the means of communication be it a mobile phone in a, a wet bag, uh, a, a handheld VHF uh, or a personal locator beacon. Uh, they're really good, sensible means of communication that keep people safe. So there is need really for some form of control or advisory warning, isn't there? Yes, I mean, there is actually warnings on the European manufactured products because they have to by law. But a lot of these are also coming in from China. And that's where the difficulty can arise, where they're, they're not made to a European standard to ascend the CEN um, mark, uh, the CE mark, as most people would be aware of it. Uh, and when they come in from China or other countries outside Europe, well, then that's when you have the difficulty where there will not be warnings on these inflatable toys. John Leach, Chief Executive of Water Safety Ireland, and a very clear, concise reason why these dangerous crafts should not be used on Irish beaches. The difference between an onshore breeze and an offshore breeze, which he stressed, should be remembered. And we understand that a number of local authorities are indeed considering banning them. In relation to those stand-up paddleboards which were involved in the rescue of the two girls in Galway Bay, Water Safety Ireland will next year be introducing an orange-coloured windsock to be flown on beaches where they're used to indicate when it's safe to use them. The current lifeguard system on beaches ends shortly for this year. Now to the voyage by the island, Ireland's wooden trading vessel from the days when it was sail that powered the carriage of cargo by schooners and other sail trading ships between Irish ports and harbours, then the transport seaways of Ireland. The 56-foot restored catch, dating back to 1926, that's 94 years ago, is carrying out a community and cargo voyage to raise awareness of Ireland's ancient seaways, while exploiting their capacity for building relationships between coastal communities by transporting cargo cleanly propelled by wind power. These are products from local companies and producers, and its visit to harbours and ports is attracting a lot of local attention. The voyage includes Kinsale, Baltimore, Cape Clear, Dingle, Kilrush, Foynes, Limerick City, and later to Cork and Dublin. The voyage included a particularly important historic moment when Ireland birthed at Foynes, just across the channel in the Shannon from the little house of Barneen, on the island where Conor O'Brien designed both Saoirse in 1921-22 and Ireland in 1925-26. It's also where he lived out his last days until 1952. His grave is on the mainland in the churchyard near Foynes Yacht Club. Managing the voyage is James Lyons, who's also a well-known sailor and a co-founder of the Sailing Into Wellness organisation. As he prepared to join Ireland in Kilrush, he told Tom about the voyage. The community and cargo voyage, this particular voyage, is it's really symbolic, Tom. It's, it's about raising awareness um, of you know, the opportunities to actually move cargo small quantities along our coast using the power of the sea and 
kind of using the network of ports and harbors that that are already there. Um, so it's very much, this is very much just dipping our toe in and it's very much to raise raise awareness on, on the opportunities out there. It's very much like the older times, isn't it, James, when cargo was moved between ports in local areas, such as along county shorelines, when roads and petrol and diesel and everything was not the way of transport. Absolutely, and and the community links, you know, through, as you're well aware, through the waterways and the Shannon, I think, is a great example. The, the links across the Shannon with the communities um, that has kind of dissipated maybe with the with the road network. Um, and, and that's kind of one of our objectives is bringing in the community element and blending it with, with dabbling in the, in the cargo side of things as well. So the voyages have been along the Cork coast, uh, you're going along the west coast, and you even plan a voyage to Dublin, I gather. We do, yeah. We're, um, I'm, I'm rejoining the island now uh, in Kilrush in a couple of hours, and we are going up the Shannon to Foynes, um, and it's her first time. It's been a while. The island hasn't been in Foynes since 1926. Um, and we will continue up to Limerick, and then we drop a little bit of cargo off, some lovely coffee. We pick up some cargo in Limerick, and it's out the Shannon uh, up to the Aran Islands. Um, from there, then it's down to Dingle, back to Kinsale, and then that's that's this particular voyage. And then we have another voyage, which is a mix of community from our sailing into wellness project, and bringing some cargo as well from Kinsale, Cork up to Waterford and further up to Dublin later in September. It's really amazing to think so much has been achieved by the island. The voyage during last year, the the, the voyage to Greenland. It's amazing what's been going on. She's obviously a really good vessel. She is. She's she's amazing for for community element. She's an amazing vessel. Her size is is ideal. You know, she can be manned with a relatively small crew. Um, she can get into every single nook and cranny along the Irish coast or any coast. Um, yet she's big enough to carry a meaningful crew or cargo, and she's big enough from a sail area to keep people very interested. I mean, she's seven sails, so there's lots of lots of bits of rope for people to be to be pulling. What's she like on board? Is she comfortable? Because some of the seas of the past few days have been trying enough. Absolutely, it was a it was a tough trip from Baltimore to Kilrush. We had we had fairly sloppy seas, which was the residue of the previous storm, and we had building seas from the storm that was on its way, um, and light wind as well. So it it all conspired to give us quite a rolly, uncomfortable uh, trip. But once she gets a little bit of breeze, she's very comfortable. Um, down below, she's snug. So you would, certainly wouldn't use the term luxurious, but she's practical. Um, and she can, you know, she can birth a crew of 11. Um, we, we, we don't have those kind of numbers on board now in relation to COVID, but... Um, when we get out the other side, yeah, she can have, an, have a crew of 11 on board. And what has been the reaction in the communities along the way, James? Fantastic. It's really, you know, it's a, 
it's amazing to see her. You know, I'm very familiar being a Cork sailor with Baltimore and West Cork. And it was amazing to see the welcome she always gets when she's alongside the key wall in Baltimore. Um, the Shannon Estuary is new to me, and that's her, I guess, her ancestral home. So I'm really looking forward. She got an amazing welcome in Kilrush, really. Uh, the, the guys there, the team there are unbelievable. Um, so she's had a great two days in Kilrush with a community project that was um, Clare and Limerick Education and Training Board ran a whole community project in Clare. So she's she's had an amazing welcome in Kilrush and really looking forward to this evening, bringing her into Foynes and further on up to Limerick. Um, so yeah, look, she, she draws a crowd anywhere she goes. There are people on the key wall uh, interested in her story or already aware of her story. James Lyons on the Voyage of Ireland, a wonderful vessel, Ireland's last coastal trading boat in existence, and how important it has been to preserve her. Built at the Fisheries School in Baltimore in 1926, she spent 70 tough years in the Falklands, transporting sheep and cattle between the islands before being returned to Ireland in 1998 and restored at Hagerty's Boatyard at Old Court outside Skibbereen. And that's just two kilometres away from where she had been originally built at the fishery school in Baltimore. I've been following her story since Gary McMahon spotted her during television coverage of the Falklands War and led the work to get her back to Ireland and restored, with the Limerick AK Island Boat Building School and the Island Marine School being developed through the project. Wonderful indeed, and a major commitment by many, many people who deserve a lot of praise for what has been achieved. Now Justin takes a look at other maritime news from home and overseas waters. Invasive chub have been confirmed in the River Innie in Longford, according to Inland Fisheries Ireland. A single fish was caught on rod and line at one of a number of places where IFI staff recorded possible sightings following reports from members of the public. Chub are non-native to Ireland. They have the potential to compete with native species for food and space as well as to be a carrier of fish diseases and parasites. The River Innie, a tributary of the Shannon, is the only Irish river in which they've been recorded so far. Removal operations between 2006 and 2010 were thought to have eradicated the species from the system. It isn't clear whether the current chub are linked to the original population, or whether more were recently introduced. The threat of chub spreading throughout the Shannon system is a real and pending concern to the biodiversity of Ireland's biggest catchment, according to Inland Fisheries Ireland. The writing is on the wall for super trawlers in British waters, according to the international environmental organisation Greenpeace. It claims that 23 super trawlers have been operating in UK waters regularly this year. Greenpeace has started a campaign jointly with British members of Parliament to highlight, it says, the damage they do, and to get the British government to ban them. And finally, the Sea Fisheries Board, BIM, is taking part in a European cultural heritage project about the sea, the fishing industry and small-scale fleets, which is examining how to value their contribution so that these can be included in state decision-making and policies. It's called the Catfishman International Project and includes Spain, Portugal, France and the UK, addressing common issues facing small-scale fleets along the Atlantic. 
Richard Curtin, senior economist with BIM, says that the management of small-scale fisheries and how they can be more adequately accounted for in state planning will be explored. Imagine that the world's longest distant migrant sees more daylight than any other creature on the planet and never encounters winter, managing to be in the right place for two summers every year. One learns a lot from the study of seabirds and from listening to Niall Hatch, Development Officer at Birdwatch Ireland, the charity which protects birds. With the summer now behind us, it's time to give an update on how the terns, perhaps Ireland's most beautiful and graceful seabirds, have fared this year at the breeding colonies which Birdwatch Ireland manages for their conservation. Ireland is home to five different species of tern, namely common, arctic, roseate, sandwich and little. All are strongly migratory, all have largely white bodies, long pointed pale grey wings, black caps on their heads, sharp pointed bills and forked tails. The best way to tell them apart is by bill colour. The roseate tern, with its mainly black bill, ghostly pale plumage and long tail streamers, is the most elegant of all, for my money at least. It is also Europe's rarest breeding seabird, so we should take great pride in the fact that our continent's largest colony is located on tiny Rockabill Island, off the coast of Skerries in North County Dublin. All summer, as part of a project funded by the European Commission's LIFE programme and supported by the National Parks and Wildlife Service and the Commissioners of Irish Lights, three Birdwatch Ireland wardens isolated themselves on the island, as safe from COVID-19 as anyone in Ireland possibly could be. Their job was to protect and monitor the terns on the island, and they certainly outdid themselves. A record high of 1,652 roseate tern pairs bred on the island this summer, proving this site's global importance for this highly threatened and vulnerable seabird. In addition, 1,753 pairs of common terns, distinguishable by their red bills with black tips, also nested on the island. An additional 600 pairs of these delightful birds also nested in Dublin Port, beneficiaries of the Dublin Bay Birds Project, which is funded by the Dublin Port Company. Special thanks must also go to the ESB and to Poolbeg Yacht Club for their assistance and support. Rockabill is also home to a breeding colony of Arctic terns, the world's longest distance migrant. Rather than flying simply to West Africa for the winter, as do our other tern species, these world travellers go all the way to Antarctica, meaning that they experience two summers each year and never encounter winter. They also see more daylight than any other creature on the planet. Sadly, the Arctic terns didn't fare as well as their relatives on Rockabill. Just 41 pairs bred, which was disappointing. Numbers breeding on Dawkey Island and Lamb Island in South County Dublin increased, however, more than tripling this year to 51 pairs. It looks like all the hard work by Birdwatch Ireland's conservation team to rid the islands of rats and to install bamboo canes to prevent predatory gulls from approaching the tern nesting areas has really paid off. Ireland's smallest, cutest tern is the little tern, with its black-tipped yellow bill and white forehead blaze. The largest Irish colony of this severely threatened species is found each year on Kilcool Beach in County Wicklow, where Birdwatch Ireland wardens, funded by the National Parks and Wildlife Service, provide round-the-clock wardening, literally 24 hours a day, for the entire summer. Initially, COVID-19 restrictions threatened the start of the project this year, but thankfully the work was able to proceed in a new, socially distanced way. At least 285 chicks successfully hatched, providing a real boost to this vulnerable species. There was less success this year at the Little Turn's other wardened colony on Portrand Beach in County Dublin. Issues with food provision by the adult birds resulted in fairly low survival rates for the chicks, but some birds at least did survive to fledge. Ireland's largest species of tern is the Sandwich Tern, named after the town of Sandwich in Kent, in case you were wondering, and its largest Irish colony is at Our Lady's Island Lake in County Wexford. 
Unlike our other terns, sandwich terns have shaggy crests and black legs, and their yellow-tipped black bills are very distinctive if seen well. We don't have 20-20 figures to hand for this colony, which is wardened by the National Parks and Wildlife Service, just yet, but hope to provide an update soon. Border Charland is delighted to announce that the Roseate Turn Life Project has made the shortlist of 27 projects in this year's EU-wide Natura 2000 Awards. It's great to be nominated, of course, but it'd be even nicer to win. This is where you come in. We need your vote, and those of your friends and family too. The public vote remains open until the 15th of September, and taking part is quick and easy. Simply visit www.bit.ly forward slash turnvote and show your support for Irish seabirds. Many thanks. Niall Hatch, Development Officer at Birdwatch. So do support him with your vote at www.bit.ly forward stroke turn vote. That's www.bit.ly forward slash turn vote. T-E-R-N-V-O-T-E. I'll be doing so. And that brings us to the end of this edition of the Maritime Programme, This Island Nation, which is also broadcast on community radio stations around Ireland. In Dublin on Near FM, Dublin City FM, Liffey Sound in Dublin South, on Dundalk FM, Athlone Community Radio, in Galway on Connemara Community Radio and Kinvara FM, Radio Corkerboshkeen in Clare, Kilkenny City Radio, West Limerick 102 FM, in Mayo on Community Radio Castle Bar and Eris FM Belmullet, Cork City Radio, West Cork FM and Community Radio Bear Island on Apple Podcasts and podcasts on Mixcloud, Soundcloud, Spotify and themarinetimes.ie Wherever you've been listening, thank you for being part of the Maritime Community on Community Radio. As I said at the outset, we're taking a little break now until October when we return. In the meantime, preparing a few changes and developments. The programme email address is thisislandnation at gmail.com. That's thisislandnation at gmail.com. Phone or text 0872 555 197. That's 0872 555 197. Until our next programme, from Justin Marr and from me, Tom McSweeney, the usual wish of fair sailing. <laughs>